The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that may result from listening to this podcast. This is the Scream Kings podcast. This is Max George. And I'm Nathaniel Darkish. If you don't mind, for the sake of your poor old podcast, keep the door open three inches. Nathaniel, I'm so excited. I am also very excited. I also feel like I say that every time we record. (laughs) You really do. Sometimes I cut it because you've said it so many times. My poor heart! I didn't know this! What? You don't listen to our own podcast? No, I do. It's just one of those things that I try and tune out my voice as much as possible. Mm. But let's cut the crap. We're going to talk about something big today. See, cutting the crap is why I cut it out. Okay. (laughs) All right. All right. I'm leaving. You can find a new co-host who has much sass and whimsy as I do. I mean, a few names come to mind, so. (laughs) Oh, go to hell. Go to the Upside Down, because that's what we're talking about. Ah, see? See? We set it up. It worked. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, we're, we've got a big episode. I know I just said that, but Stranger Things, it's one of our most downloaded episodes, if I'm not mistaken. You are correct. And now we have a third season. It took us two years to get, and holy cow, we have a lot to say about it. Yes, we do. I am. I'm ready. I'm. I'm ready. I've been thinking about this. It's you know. I, I watched it. Well, back in July when it first came out. So it's been a couple months, uh, and and now I, I've had enough time to process everything that happened and and deliver the real uh, way that that you, the listener, should feel about it. Nathaniel, you feel so serene and calm today. Yes, it's this. This is a. Uh, a peaceful thing after dealing with teenagers all day. That sounds horrible. Well, we're going to talk more about teenage angst. You let us in. And now... You are going to have to let us stay. Before we get into kind of what we loved and what we didn't love about Stranger Things, I think it's prudent to talk about why we love Stranger Things so much. I know we kind of talked about this a little bit when we first recorded about seasons one and season two, but I think it's a good thing to refresh ourselves a little bit about why this show, I think, is so popular right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Besides the good acting, besides the great storytelling, what is it about kind of the 80s genre that really speaks to you, Nathaniel? Well, it doesn't necessarily speak to my childhood because, you know, we are children of the 90s. But, you know, a lot of those things really did still kind of echo into our childhood. So a lot of it does still feel very familiar, uh, even to the uh, younger uh, subset of the millennials that, that is, you know, which I, I feel like we kind of fit into. You know, the, the 80s millennials, they're, you know, this is this is their childhoods. Uh, for us, it's a little 
bit different, but we still, you know, had the Ghostbusters stuff, and we had the Ninja Turtles stuff, and we had all of these things that, that these characters are really interested in. Uh, it's a big part of, you know, kind of what defined our childhoods, especially if we had uh, older siblings, or, you know, in my case, like, I had an uncle that's just a few years older than me, uh, who was just, you know, showing me all of the stuff that, that he did um, when he was... Uh, a little bit younger and and yeah it, you know definitely uh from that perspective i can definitely relate also you know really a lot of it just kind of boils down to you know it's it's not just the 80s it's the nerdiest bits of the 80s and so like it's fun nerdy characters that as a very nerdy person myself i can relate to these kids and i you know feel like yeah like they would be my friends absolutely i don't know and and also just yeah it's and and this is something we talked about before, but, you know, we're at a point where a lot of the filmmakers, television makers that are really kind of out there that are making a name for themselves, they are just a few years older than us. And so this is their childhoods. They want to represent themselves on the screen. So it's not just, you know, years and years of the 60s and the 70s like we've had for the last few or, you know, last couple of decades, honestly, because, you know, that was that those people's childhoods. Now we have childhoods that are 80s and moving into the 90s even now. I would definitely agree with you. And I think a big part of it, too. I mean, not everyone would probably be best friends with Dustin and Eleven. You know, not everyone's as nerdy and geeky as we are. But I think being a nerd and being a geek and really embracing your fandom is very much a big part of the zeitgeist right now. And I Mm -hmm. think Stranger Things really taps into that nostalgia and does connect with everybody. The 80s for me, I think, was one of the last kind of moments before we really let technology control our lives. And yeah. so we connect with a lot of this innocent human interaction a little bit. You know, we, you had to take things for face value back then. And it's almost a fondness that we see this on screen. And it, it's almost like an idyllic, we want that nowadays. And I agree with you and all of your points that this show really speaks to kind of what we crave as a culture right now, as mm-hmm. far as TV entertainment goes. I think that's that's kind of a, a twofold thing, you know. It's like I said, you know, the the creators are now at the age where they're representing their own childhoods, but also just if you look at the the way fads kind of cycle through, now yeah, the 80s and the 90s are the things that are the interesting retro things to kids. And I'm sure that has a lot to do with the fact that, you know, we are seeing these things on TV now. You know, it kind of goes both ways. Like I think you know that one kind of fuels the other and vice versa it's it's fun to have these you know random shapes and bright colors and the the nerdy t-shirts that are kind of retro styles and all that all of that is is a big part of how especially teenagers today are representing themselves and i think it's also kind of important to remember too that i mean for me i think the 80s was some of the best years for horror yeah. for paranormal movies it's kind of the golden age in my mind of horror cinema and so stranger things does a really good job at tapping into those themes and even the aesthetic and it really pulls me in because i'm thinking of movies like poltergeist the I, thing I, and... exactly all of these fantastic horror movies that are classics for us it takes that and says hey we know that they did this well we're gonna keep 
using this and make sure we keep it going. Not just the horror, but also the sci-fi. The Steven Spielberg era, it's the Star Wars era, it's the the time where sci-fi was really popping off, when horror was really popping off, when kind of the more niche genres started to have a bigger following. So it wasn't just, you know, the the weird, you know, nerdy kid in the corner necessarily. People as as a whole went out and saw these movies. They And the Duffer Brothers, I think, really tap into that. Um, yes. You know, the Duffer Brothers are incredibly smart and they know what they're doing. And they kind of throw little nuggets for every age group. I mean, my mm-hmm. parents are obsessed with Stranger Things and they were raised in the 70s, but they still get it. Um, yeah. It's all very powerful. Let's launch into season three. I want to start out by saying however much time passed between seasons two and seasons three. I don't know what those kids were drinking, but I thought the acting in this season, especially especially for Millie Bobby Brown and Dacker Montgomery, or however you say his first name, uh, so Billy and Eleven, respectively, was insane, Nathaniel blew me out of the water and all of the kids did an incredible job don't get me wrong but the emotional intensity that those two kids displayed in this season whoo it was crazy yeah and and that's not to say that they weren't good before because they were i mean i I feel like all of them have been fantastic in every season but yeah you you can definitely start to see that they have uh, gone from being very talented and and you know a lot of the raw talent to now some some more refined talent because of the experience they now have. And overall, I think that was very necessary for kind of the themes of this season. Season one and season two are incredible and very strong in their own. I know you have some different feelings, but I think season three kind of brought in some darker, more adult elements to it. Definitely at times. And I primarily I'm talking about Billy's backstory where he was kind of mentally and physically abused by his father. And also there was some kind of Eleven and her relationship with Hopper and Winona Ryder, her character. There were some more. I, the kids are growing up, basically. Yeah. And I felt like some more adult level acting was necessary to get that going and when i say darker too i also feel like this season was much more of a horror show seasons one and seasons two or season one season two excuse me uh felt a little bit more sci-fi which is not bad they definitely had horror elements to it but the aesthetic and the feel and the monster this time around it all felt much more scary to me which as a viewer and as a horror fanatic i loved that I definitely see where you're coming from, and I'm going to agree to a point, but I would say that this feels more like a, a strong creature feature uh, in terms oh, of Oh, I agree. Horror. I agree. But, but I would argue that the second season is much more of the psychological horror, especially, you know, dealing with this, you know, kind of thing inside Will's head that's still holding on to him and still manipulating him. Kind of that slow burn, psychological, something is influencing you kind of horror that feels almost more like a possession story. To me, I felt like that was was more present in the second season. And so it kind of, you know, it, it depends on what sort of horror you're looking at. Yeah, I, I would say, especially in terms of, yeah, like visceral body horror and visceral, like gruesome monster horror. Yeah, definitely three pop uh, stood out for that. But I'd say it was a little bit less strong in some of the uh, other aspects of 
uh, kind of what we see on the spectrum of horror. I think that's an incredible insight, though, and I wonder if that's kind of what the Duffer Brothers have been going for. You know, season one was kind of a, a mystery type of a horror, kind of whodunit, even a murder mystery with yeah. the whole passing of our sweet Saint Barb. And I'm crossing myself as I say her because we all know how I feel about sweet Barbara. And like you said, season two could be looked at as almost a possession story. Yeah. And season three could very well be a monster. Like, I, I love that insight, and I've not thought of that before. And I think that's the way you do something like American Horror Story the right way. <laughs> Same yeah. story, but a different kind of flavor to it. Oh, wow. You just kind of like blew my mind. I love that. Yeah, well, and I think that's what makes the show so fun and unique and, and keeps people coming for season after season is that it's not the same thing. You know, every season has its own flavor, its own kind of feel. It balances, you know, the, the sci-fi and the horror and the, you know, romance and the, you know, this and that in different ways that are strong and interesting for each season. And, and, and like, I, I think that's a big part of why they don't necessarily say... You know, it's Stranger Things season one. It's Stranger Things one. Stranger Things two. Stranger Things three. Not season three. You know, it's it's almost like each one is its own movie where it has its own yeah strong plot arc and all of that. And certainly, it connects to the things that happened before. But there is kind of a, a difference there. And I think in part you could start with season three and not necessarily know what happened in one or two. I mean, you do to an extent but not as strongly as you would other horror franchises. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely gives you a lot, uh, and, and it is it does have its own you know, story arc that has a beginning, middle, and end you know, for this that isn't just you know, totally dependent on everything that happened before. So as far as kind of the Mind Flayer and this new creature that he creates, I don't know what we want to call it, I don't think the kids ever really called it anything either. Um, this kind of monster built out of human body parts. And rats. Yeah, and rats. <laughs> and lime, for some reason. Um, it felt much more intense, much more direct. And mm -hmm. maybe direct is the better term. That the Mind Flayer got shut down in Season 2, and now he's pissed. Or she, the Mind Flayer, can be a girl. Or Hashtag it be, can be women too. Or it could Hashtag be feminism. It could also be non-binary. We don't know. Um, but it wanted revenge, and that was very apparent from the first episode through the end of the series. Mm -hmm. um, did you feel that, or did you feel that maybe the Mind Flayer was a little weaker in this season? Um, it its its focus was definitely yeah, much more revenge, much more kind of the direct sort of you know assault on the characters. I don't know. There's there's things about that that is definitely more threatening and more, and and it has a lot of fun to watching it. I personally prefer villains that are have a little bit more of a subtle touch, which I felt was definitely more the case in the second season. But I mean, to be fair, I liked that it was a character that you know it tried something, it didn't work, it took a different approach altogether, and I think that's smart and shows that it's a a, a dynamic villain. And as a tangent, would you say? revenge stories and horror films weaken or improve a villain's kind of motives because for me it really depends on the narrative of course but oftentimes revenge is so superficial and without a lot of background and build up it, it kind of falls apart for me it makes me not care as much 
of the narrative. Would you agree or disagree? Yeah, I, I feel like when when it is a villain wanting to get revenge on characters, it it works a little less well for me. I feel like, especially, you know, say with, like, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, the fact, like, Nightmare on Elm Street 4 kind of starting out with, like, Freddy's back and he's pissed at these specific characters. That just didn't work for me. Like, it just was kind of dumb. It, I mean... To be fair, that's that's just one of the weak points. They're like the low points in that series, but um, but I'm usually okay with with revenge kind of being a a motivator for like a heroic character. Uh, weirdly enough, but that might be just because I absolutely am obsessed with Cat of Monte Cristo ever since I read it years ago. So phenomenal book, and but we are not that kind of a podcast. What? I can't talk about <laughs> French literature in this podcast? Absolutely not. Even if it has a scene where people get high in opium and make out with statues? I mean, we'll talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> but that I... book has a scene where people get high in opium and make out with statues. It's totally rad. Anyway, let's go on. I totally agree with you, though, and I think... Um, while this season is not perfect and this being one of those things that kind of weakened it for me, I didn't care so much because the Mind Flayer was really working through an incredibly dynamic villain who is Billy. Yes. Um, and Dacker Montgomery, holy shit. And I apologize for the vulgarity, but it was necessary here. Um, My ears are burning. Oh, I know. They'll start to bleed here soon, darling. Um... Billy, holy cow, I hated him the moment we met him in season two. And by the end of season three, I cried for the kid. Cried for him. Like, yeah. oh, oh, it's amazing. Yeah, they did a really good job of making a very unlikable character ha- uh, for us to see him as a human uh, who has wants and needs and isn't just evil. You know, he... He does the things that he does because he got re- he had an awful childhood and he and it messed him up. Um, but you know, you also see moments of him being like trying to be a good brother and trying to support Max and and things like that. And you're like, wow, like there is more layers to him. I I love it when a villain is frustrating and evil, but can also have those moments of humanity because yeah, no one is just all evil. That's boring. It's totally boring, and it's a trope that we've been forced down our throats for as long as history. Um, And to really get a raw and authentic villain, someone who's been abused, and that's kind of why they are the way that they are, then get kind of controlled and turned into a slave to the supernatural kind of a monster kind of a monster (laughs) well okay valid um (laughs) it opens up a door to empathy though to you and the scene where the kids trap them in the shower room and the demonic trope happens where the mind flayer lets real billy out for a second and you're like you know when i see a demonic movie and the demon kind of lets the person go i know what's coming and the acting and the storytelling for stranger things 3 made me believe again that maybe Billy was still in there and we need to stop torturing him in the shower room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, you do have that kind of brief moment where, like, you shouldn't let him out, but still, like, he's actually, like, 
being really like sincere for a second and it's kind of yeah yeah that was a good scene it was phenomenal it was phenomenal um and one scene that really hit me emotionally is at the end when our lovely corpse monster is attacking the mall and Eleven comes in and saves Billy. And Billy has caused her a lot of grief in this episode. The Mind Flayer knows what Eleven's capable of, wants to stop her, and she ends up saving him, not saving him, unfortunately, spoiler alert, um, but goes to his aid. And I've read some interviews between Millie and Dacker about that moment, and they said it was one of the most intense and difficult things to act because those emotions were so convoluted and complex and emotional it was beautiful we talked about last episode in it chapter two that iconic scene um where bill skarsgård takes his face and his pennywise and whatever and that will be iconic it's kind of one Mm -hmm. of those horror moments of our generation i honestly think 11 and billy's moment with the mind flayers beast is again one of those moments that will go down in horror fame. I don't know if it's going to have quite the same staying power, but I I agree. Like it was very powerful. It was very raw. It definitely st- uh, has stuck with me as a, as a viewer. So yeah, I I love that scene as well. It's it for me. It it might be the very high point of the entire season, with the exception oh, of was- just Hopper being the best. Um, false. The actual best part of the entire season is the musical number, which we will get to. <laughs> um, um, before that, I have a very compelling question that I want to ask you. Yes. So, I have three friends at work who also love Stranger Things, and we talk about it um, to a nauseating level. Um, they are obsessed with Billy, think he's attractive, think he's handsome, think he's a martyr, to the point where they all bought Billy shirts and wore them to work coordinatingly. <laughs> um, and I don't, I don't get it. Um, is there something sexy about Billy that I just don't understand? <laughs> I... So, we'll talk about this more when we get to the... Um things i disliked about the season but i just yeah no i don't i don't see it i mean i i should be asking you this because i'm not attracted to men but i'm a proud gay man and i think he is not attractive i mean dacre montgomery is attractive him portraying billy who is a bully and who did some very dark things in season two is not attractive it's kind of like the ted bundy is beautiful type of a thing like yeah and i don't see it with bundy either honestly no nor do i but same same and also that that mustache no just no and the mullet and it's always greasy and he's always sweating like that put some talcum powder get some get some baby powder something (laughs) yeah and you know i've i've talked to my wife taylor about this and she also is kind of like i don't really see it i don't know so, I mean, apparently it works for some people, but yeah, that's something that eh, just, yeah, I don't, I don't see it. Um, moving on from that very compelling question. <laughs> um, one thing I really, very liked about, one thing I really liked about the season was that 
11 was not a fix to every single problem. Mm-hmm. Um, she loses her powers. And so the kids kind of have to think outside the box and you get to see a lot of other kids talents, which I really thought was cool. Um, we talked a little bit about the locker room. Like they all got together and thought this plan out the fireworks against the beast. Um, I, I really enjoyed that. It wasn't the 11 show as much as I love 11 and Billy Bobby Brown and like female empowerment. And she's a role model for my daughter. It was really refreshing to see other things happening. I, I agree, but I also have a counterpoint that I do want to bring up. Okay, let me hear so, it. So I I like that, yeah, it wasn't just the Eleven show and that the other characters had, had more opportunities to shine. Absolutely. But I'm kind of tired of the powerful character with powers has to lose their powers to make the villain oh. interesting. Oh, totally. Or, yeah. you know, difficult to fight. I want... I prefer a story in which the extremely competent, very powerful character has their full strength, and regardless, it's still not enough. And then they have to rely on everyone else and think outside the box and things like that. To me, taking away her powers and kind of making her weak in that uh, capacity really kind of bummed me out a little bit uh, as a viewer because... To me, it just it feels like that has to be the go-to for so many pieces of uh, fiction. You know, it's like, oh, I have a powerful character. I can't show uh, a threat that's insurmountable even to them. I have to take away their powers to, to make it so there's a, a real challenge here. And it's an incredibly problematic trope. I will definitely agree with you there. I went to Comic-Con a few weeks ago, and I attended an anime convention, and we learned about a ton of amazing animes, and I've been on kind of an anime kick. And almost every single one that I've watched, at some point, the lead protagonist either gets discouraged and his powers become weak, or he gets cursed and he loses his powers. And, like, I totally get that. I, I can definitely give credit to that. Yeah. And and it's it's one thing if it's, say, Superman loses her powers because he doesn't know how to function without his powers at all. But when it's a character that where, we like... She had to work hard to kind of get to the level that she was at, and it was at great cost to herself and, and things like that. Um, you know, she just isn't born, like, super crazy powerful. You know, she there's a lot of blood and sweat and tears that go that went into getting her to this level. Um, to, to see her then just, like, have that stripped away, yeah, to me it's just like, oh, man, like, they, they couldn't make this threat more threatening, I guess. Um <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I just I would I would have rather have seen her at absolute full strength. We've never seen her this powerful, and yet it's still too much. And that's just me. No, I I agree with you, and I, I like it in the fact that it allowed some of the other characters to shine, especially Dustin. Yeah, you know, he's kind of the comedic relief of the show, in a sense that everyone just kind of thinks he's the hyper nerd and kind of dumb. Um, but he really shone in this episode, and his team, the Scoops Troop, um, was one of the highlights for me. I really liked those character interactions. And well, and 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 I I one hundred percent agree. I just feel like I wanted that kind of thing to happen, regardless of of however powerful Eleven is. Like, 
But but yeah, I, I definitely agree that like having more of all of the other characters and having them do things that were extremely important. You know, each one had a had a role to play. I I'm one hundred fifty percent behind that. Um, and that kind of leads me to my next point I wanted to discuss is I thought this season does a really or did a really really well job at showing that childhood friendships are not forever friendships you know if i think back on all of the kids i hung out with as a child like pre-puberty i don't talk to any of them anymore maybe one maybe two occasionally um and it's just part of life and i really felt there was a powerful nostalgic pull there it made me remember those good times and brought up some of those memories Mm -hmm. um but at the same time made me appreciate what i've learned from that and kind of how i've grown and the ending of this season i think really cements that you know stranger things 4 is probably going to be quite different from what we're used to at very least the 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 kind of the key thing that it acknowledged there is if you want friendship like that to last it's going to have to change a little bit it's going to have to be a little bit of a different shape and i i really love that because you know it's like hey like we have other things that are important to us and so like you need to you know kind of get on that bus and and recognize that there are things that are uh, also important to me that you maybe don't care about as much at this point in time but you know like if we're friends you have to respect what's what i value exactly and i i think there's a maturity in that mm-hmm. that some people don't learn till they're a little bit older and it's heartbreaking and crushing and again i think the duffer brothers understand this very complex rite of passage that we all go through and portrayed yeah. it in an incredible manner yeah and it's made for some really fun memes. Yeah, that too. Um, okay, but I do have an actual compelling question now. Okay. Um, there is a scene between Little Will, who is exactly me as a child, and I love it. Down to the bowl haircut? Uh, yes, actually. <laughs> uh, unfortunately. Between Will and Mike. And Mike and lucas are both kind of girl crazy and will just wants to play dungeons and dragons that's all he wants and they kind of have a fight scene where they're they are growing apart and mike kind of throws almost a homophobic kind of comment at will and i'm not quite sure if the duffer brothers were insinuating that will is gay did you get that i i definitely picked up on that i don't know if that's actually the conclusion that we're supposed to reach or if it's just kind of showing how that was part of the way that especially you know children of that era thought you know this was a a period of time where throwing out the word gay was used as an insult or things like that and so i don't know if, if they were making a nod to that or to him specifically being gay or at least you know playing with that idea i don't know it i don't know necessarily what conclusion i'm supposed to draw from it but i did definitely notice uh that scene and and how that kind of maybe question um you know a little bit more about this character that honestly like of all the characters we kind of know will the the least well in a lot of ways and being or i mean i was once a very closeted little gay boy the way they portrayed it really made me think that maybe there is some undertones there that we might learn in season four and i think that's great i think we need that in tv honestly we we don't get a lot of that or it's so trivialized or it's post-puberty whatever you want to say so as again a proud gay man 
I support this, Will. And I like that with Robin, you know, they were able to also kind of uh, explore themes of, of homosexuality and, and, you know, kind of how socially acceptable or not socially acceptable it was at that at that time. And let's talk about Robin, because she is so badass. Yeah, she's definitely one of my very favorite uh, characters just in the series in general and i yeah just, i love having her as a, as a new character yeah she came out of nowhere and she came out with a fury she was fantastic she gave uh, came out with a money. fury but i did that on purpose thank you okay. for catching okay. on to that <laughs> um yeah maya hawk is her name so uh, ethan we... hawk's daughter oh i didn't know that that's it's, awesome it's ethan hawk and um uma thurman's daughter well, naturally, she's going to be the queen of the United States eventually. Well, of course. Her character was... It, she came out of nowhere, but she became instantly compelling. Her kind of banter with Steve was awesome. And she did have this very profound growing experience that made us care about her as much as any of the other characters that have been around for three seasons. Yep. Oh, she was fantastic. And... Speaking of other fantastic characters, let's talk about sweet Alexi. <laughs> I like Alexi a lot. Um, I'm not quite as hard on the Alexi bandwagon as most people, though. Uh, I just thought he was pure and innocent and doing nefarious things for the Russians, but also loving his Slurpees from 7-Eleven. There were some really uh, wonderful little moments with him. I, I enjoyed him a lot, but I think people are just absolutely smitten with him and I like him. He's not my favorite character. Let's cut the crap, though, and talk about the true best moment of the entire season. And you all know what it is. Well, of course. Oh, the musical number. The musical number. We, we seriously considered doing the musical number as the uh, intro bit, but we decided against it. Because we had to have a Hopper thing. It's true. Because do you want to go and talk a little bit about Hopper? You love Hopper, and you've hardly said anything. Well, I don't want to just gush the entire time, but Hopper is basically everything I want to be as a father. So you want to be emotionally distant and not know how to talk to your child? Duh! <laughs> okay. Um, I hope Taylor listens to this. She knows how much I want to be like Hopper. Don't distract me from the pure, pure, pure love of Dusty Buns and his sweet little Mormon girlfriend. Shout out to the Mormons in Utah. Hey, I'm one of those. Salt Lake City of all places. I just loved this moment. The, the scenes before this were just so intense and so dark and you were on the edge of your seat. And then they have this silly little never-ending story number, and it just comes out of nowhere. And love it or hate it, it was adorable and perfect. It was very delightful, and I enjoyed it quite thoroughly. And I hope that she comes back in season four. Um, she better, and we better get a scene in Salt Lake. I, I, I really hope that um, we kind of have it this more on a national scale, especially with the characters moving at the end and things like that. Like, I, I think we could have a, a grander scale when it comes to, to season four, which if I'm not mistaken, is the last one that they have planned. Yeah, I believe so. I don't know. Well, I guess we'll find out for sure, but More. I know that they, that they do have a clear end in mind, which I admire uh, because a lot of shows just, you know, go on forever and they start sucking halfway through so true i'm really glad that they're actually cutting it short mm -hmm. cutting it appropriately there we go overall and i know you disagree and i'll definitely let you 
discuss why, but I think this is the best of the three seasons. I prefer darker stories. I really connected with a lot of the emotions that the characters were displaying. As I mentioned, Will, I thought Billy and Eleven's characters were very, very raw and intense. I thought the monster was original and creative, albeit a revenge story. There were parts nasty. Oh yeah, it was creepy. The hospital scene was unreal. I love that scene. I thought I was watching a rated R movie for a second. Overall, I think it's the best of the three seasons. I like a mature, I like a darker story, and I know it's not perfect, and we're gonna go into a few of the things that make it not perfect, and I agree with a lot of them. But out of the three, I definitely stand by that I think it's the best. Okay. That's fair. Let's talk about the not great things. Okay. Well, the first thing I'm seeing in our notes is just that you brought up that the beginning was kind of weirdly slow, and I definitely noticed that too. Yeah, it took like three episodes to really get the ball moving. and It was the shortest season, so that's kind of extra weird. Yeah, and there weren't really profound nuggets that kept me interesting. I usually will give a show three episodes before I decide to hit it or quit it, and I kind of had to force myself with Stranger Things 3 because I knew it was Stranger Things and that good quality was about to come. But I'm kind of the pacing king. I feel like I can't find the perfect paced movie. (laughs) Or show. One day you'll find the perfectly paced movie and you will be renewed by it. I can tell everyone what the best paced movie is but that would require me to take a shot of some sort of alcohol (laughs) it starts with an h and rhymes with hereditary i don't know if it's the perfectly paced movie though i feel like this is a discussion we need to have another day because we have so much still to talk about (laughs) okay that's fair okay so so maybe some pacing issues i also felt like there were certain spots with some of the uh underground you know under the mall adventure stuff that was a little slow just at at, just in little spots here and there i was just kind of like oh like they're walking through this hall for like half an episode yep that was a little much for me too but you know not the end of the world but speaking of the russians i okay so there are i i understand why they went with having russians be villains in this because you know it's it's the 80s it's still the end of the cold war the Russians are villains in like 90% of the movies from this era. I 100% get that like that was a very uh, conscious nod to the, the their influences. But that said, it just kind of feels like a different show. You know, I loved the fact that in the first two seasons, the villains aren't the kind of, you know, generic bad guys from another country with, you know, Russian accents kind of thing. I love that it was shady American government things that were going on. I love that because, you know, it's like, who can you trust if you can't trust your own government? And, you know, I don't necessarily trust my own government very much. And and so, like, I, I, I found that very relatable. And, and to me, it kind of added to a lot of the paranoia and fear that is kind of just ingrained in this kind of story. And, 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 you know, felt very true to a lot of the Spielberg uh, things that, that it was pulling from. But, yeah, for me, I don't know, this this felt you know, much more Magnum P.I. than Spielberg, if that makes sense. It definitely makes sense. And I was a little disappointed when I found out it was Russians. I kind of felt like that's been done before <laughs> multiple times. Yeah, and I also just felt like as far as like their motivations and and all of that i just didn't get that much you know they're like hey we have to do this stuff at hawkins and like 
I don't know. I guess I just I don't know how they got all of the information that they got. I want to know a lot more of their behind the scenes stuff. You know, their program with you know children or whatever it is. You know, the stuff that kind of mirrors what's happening in the U.S. That is the kind of thing that interests me a lot more than the scientists pulling scientific levers and soldiers walking around and and acting covert. And also, like, I just really didn't buy a lot of the clever ways that they were hiding in plain sight and things like that. Like, a lot of that was... hmm, That didn't work for me. Stranger Things works because it's so real while so being so, like, fantasy-driven. And that was just... It it felt out of place. Yeah, it, it just, like, it wasn't as strong of writing to me and... And I think that's a, a, a real shame because I feel like that's not something that I ordinarily complain about with this show. So I didn't love love the Russians and I felt like they were too much of this season. I, I would agree. And I really hope that this next season that we get will kind of dive into a little bit more. Mm. Because I, I kind of felt like at the end where we saw the, that last scene where they have a demo dog, basically... Maybe there's some stuff we don't know about. Oh, and, yeah. And and I hope that what we don't know explains their role a little bit better with everything. But Yeah, like, like I think there's a way to do them well. I just don't feel like the things that we got really worked, especially in a uh, place like, you know, Indiana, you know, during a period of time where everyone is still kind of has that, you know, communist paranoia the fact that a russian company comes in and buys them all and they are doing all this secret stuff like to me like i feel like ordinary townspeople would have picked up on some stuff or maybe would have boycotted them all or things like that just based on the fact that it's the russians and they were our enemies um you have in our notes that you didn't love the older women being obsessed with billy do you want to explain that a little i just i thought that was kind of fun and it was alluded to in the second season and i didn't love it in the second season either i didn't really see what the problem was with that so what is problematic for you i don't know it just it it didn't really seem to contribute to the overall plot that much at the end of the day like that didn't do anything. So then I, I, I want to challenge that with, did the musical number really go anywhere other than introducing us to a character? The musical number was a single scene. 40-year-old women uh, creeping on a 17-year-old boy. That went on and on and on and on and on and on and on. It was just so much of the season, and I'm just like, I I don't care that these women are... are just obsessed with him like i just don't need thing after thing after thing after thing showing me that because like i kind of got it it was never really important to the overall story all right i'll I'll give you that um honestly i just thought it was kind of something fun that they were doing but it was a like a weird fan service thing but like i i didn't even need that because i didn't feel like i don't like he he seemed to exist especially in the second season, okay. largely just as a, a fan service character who was also a, a bully. Okay, I can kind of get behind that and what you're saying there. It did feel very fan service if I do have to say anything negative yeah. about it. Let's talk about the different teams. You had the Scoops Troop, and you kind of had Mike and Lucas and Eleven and Max all on their own. and It was fun to see some kind of one-on-one interaction with the kids. I don't know if it 
helped the plot it kind of made it feel a little disjointed and rushed at the end because everyone was kind of trying to catch up and what has happened since we last saw each other i think it was not necessarily the best choice and this is actually probably one of the big reasons why this season is not my favorite and and this is something i brought up in in our notes as well the the fact that they are divided up in, in different subgroups and they stay divided for most of the season like that means that a lot of these characters don't have interactions with anyone other than the ones in their immediate little subgroup. It, I think that's unfortunate because one of the things that I, I feel like has really worked in a lot of the previous seasons is that you get to see the different dynamics of these characters interacting with each other in meaningful ways be, because you do have it mixed up so often previously. But, you know, this time around, it's like, okay, yeah, like the the Scoops troop, they're just going to be them. And, and, you know, so it's just those four characters having their own internal squabbles and stuff. And, and you know, you don't get to see them weigh in on other things that are happening. And, and I think that's a shame because I think, for example, Steve weighing in more on, on the girl drama, you know, with Eleven and Mike and all of that kind of stuff would have been fun to see. Or, you know, just, I, I feel like a lot of the dynamics just don't, things that you that you like about a character, you don't see necessarily in their interactions with just one specific character. You have to see them interact with many characters, and we just had a lot less of that. Yeah, I would definitely agree. It, it felt, I don't know. When the kids all got back together, it did feel a little contrived at times. Mm-hmm. And I think a big part is what you just explained. I would 100% agree with that. So Hopper, you love Hopper. Did you? Do you think this was necessary to kind of remove him from the picture? So I think it was a purely practical thing that they did there. It was, hey, if Hellboy really takes off, he might not have time for season four. So let's make it so he might die. But Hellboy didn't take off. It was a bad movie. <laughs> which is no far, uh, no uh, fault of our wonderful actor here. Um, it was just a bad movie because of the bad writing. And so I, I think they're going to bring him back. For me, especially in a show like this, unless I see a dead body and they say something <laughs> dramatic as they're dying and they're definitely dead, I don't believe they're dead. So I think that he is still alive. I think they're going to tease it, and and it's not going to be until the end or towards the end of season four that we realize that he's still alive, officially. But yeah, I think that's what they're doing with it, and I I think that's fine. Hopper is alive, and even if he isn't alive, he's alive in my heart. Uh, I'd a hundred percent agree. I they can't let someone as iconic as Hopper go away. They make so much money off of him and his quotes. That's <laughs> he'll yeah. be back. He better be. He better be. Um, One plot that I felt was incredibly contrived was the political weird subplot that was going on that I just felt was not needed in any which way. That's fair. I don't know if there's much more to say about that other than that. (laughs) Yeah, it just kind of was. I also didn't love that we didn't get any other information about the other kids who have powers. Mm. No, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, or 1. That episode in season two caught it a lot of, caused a lot of waves on the internet. A lot of people hated it. And I, I feel like people hate it now even more because it was so just out of the blue and no real context. I think hating it is the wrong response. I, I actually really like that episode. I didn't mind it either. But I do see why it doesn't work as well for some people. 
uh, especially in light of it not coming up again. Uh, I definitely wanted more of that. I think that's one of the things that the fans of the show wanted to be important, and it wasn't in this season at all. I think it they have to have it be important next season or um, it's going to just result in a lot of uh, dissatisfied customers, <laughs> dissatisfied viewers in, just in that respect. Because, yeah, like you can't throw out something that interesting and that compelling without doing something with it. You consider this to be your least favorite season, right? Yes. Why? If you could summarize, what would you say? Kind of like what I did. What I did. Why I think it's the best. Honestly, it's just the stuff that I I was just saying. It's it's the you know I, I feel like the the dynamics that that really made the show pop for me uh, so often just aren't there uh, in the same ways this season. And it's not that it's wholly bad or anything like that. It's just there are things that make this show one of my favorite shows that just weren't really present this time around. And I, you know, it, it just, it is what it is. You know, I, I, I prefer some more of the psychological side of the horror. I, I love the, the intense scenes like the hospital scene this time around, but um, I don't know to me the, yeah, the subtle, very manipulative mind flare was, you know, kind of my, my specific blend of horror that, that just really appeals to me. And so, yeah, it just it just wasn't there uh, in the same way, and yeah, like just the the problems with you know the fact that the group was split up and and things like that just yeah just made it at the end of the day not be quite my favorite. In and fact, I... yeah, it's it's my least favorite just because yeah, I I just feel like those are things that made the show really stand out to me previously. And I think what we talked about early at the beginning of the episode comes back to this is that stranger things is so good because it is so customizable that's not the right word but it it fits so many shapes and pieces that there's something that everyone can love about it and even if it's not your favorite you still enjoy it oh yeah i i had a blast Um, watching it i i don't regret a second i spent watching that show and i i would you know, if we're when when season four comes out, I'm going to binge it like I binged this one, like without a, a doubt. So, if we move straight into crowns and screams, what would you give it as far as crowns? Seven, and I would do an eight, so fairly reasonable. Yeah, I, and and for me, honestly, it depends on the day. Honestly, like right now, I'm feeling a little surly, so a seven, but. Tomorrow, if I'm in a little bit better mood, it might be an eight. It's it's kind of seven to eight for for me on on this particular one. And when we first made these show notes, I rated it as a nine. But after letting it sit and kind of review the notes and everything, I did change to an eight. So I'm right there with you. It, it kind of fluctuates. Yeah. Um, as screams, I gave it a seven. Like it, it's good, it's dark, but it is also very family friendly. <laughs> yeah, there are definitely. Uh parts that are not that scary um yeah i gave it a six uh i felt like the parts that were scary were very scary but there just wasn't that many of them so yeah all right um moving into something else i wanted to talk about is stranger things overall now that we have three seasons i thought it would be kind of fun to talk about some of the bests and maybe some theories we have Mm-hmm. who's your favorite kid right now it's probably robin because i just Im- uh, just enjoy how relentlessly sarcastic she is <laughs> sounds like someone i know yeah i don't know i don't know it's just 
It's just that that kind of uh, personality that really appeals to me. So, so right now, um, Robin, Dustin. but Dustin is extremely high on my list as well. Dustin Can my favorite is... kid be be Hopper because Hopper's everything? <laughs> um, and Hopper is kind of a child, so that works. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, Dustin for me, hands down. That's not a surprise to anybody. I love Gatton Matsurazo and Dustin and everything about them. Yeah. Um, who has the best death? And we don't need to discuss mine because I will be in mourning again. I would say that the best death... Okay, if Hopper's actually dead, then Hopper, because Hopper wins all the awards for me. Just... Uh, okay, actually, that death scene wasn't that great, if it is, in fact, <laughs> dead. So I'm going to go with Bob. I really like Bob's death scene. I felt like it was very powerful. You're wrong, it's Barb. Barb's <laughs> was was an afterthought. You take that back. She is a goddess, and I have that in bold in ooh, our show she, notes. <laughs> yeah, ooh, she lasted one episode. Uh, she was perfect. That's all she needed. I, Bob was great. I really loved the Bob storyline with mm-hmm. um, Winona Ryder. I can't think of her show character. Um, but Barb, I have a bobblehead of Barb at my desk at the office. I love her that much. I just feel like you're you're inventing a lot for Barb because you don't even know that much about her. Barb reminds me of everything about my first girlfriend so let me hold on to that (laughs) (laughs) and i know who you're talking about it's true and you don't deny it that's fair (laughs) there there, there are certainly uh parallels there um best relationship other than me and my first girlfriend (laughs) 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 see what i did there yes so, best relationship in season three, I, I is, is how I responded in the notes. Just, I really like the dynamic between Elle and Max this time around. 100% but, same. But, um, I would say probably the best relationship in general in the series. Uh, and actually, this might be also just a high point for the, for season three, too. It's just the, the, kind of father-daughter relationship between Hopper and Elle, I absolutely adore. It's because you want to be um, emotionally distant and not know how to talk to your child. But he cares about her. They make each other better. I don't know. It's wonderful. No, it is. I don't deny it. It's fantastic and incredibly authentic. Um, so, cheers to that. What about What about you? What do you think? For um, overall? D- Dustin. Dusty Buns and his sweet little Mormon girlfriend. Okay. Um, but also Ellen Max. I thought that was a very natural and realistic 90s 80s girl friendship that existed in our world yeah it was great yeah it was a lot of fun um so we've kind of talked a little bit on some theories you think hopper's still alive so do i um i think somehow the russians have him i think there might be another portal open in russia that we might have to encounter yeah Um, that's i think very possible I think the Mind Flayer is hell-bent now. I do not think it's the last we've seen of them. Um, I think the kids have grown apart, and we might get one reunion episode in Season 4. 
but the whole point of the season i don't think will be them reuniting and searching each other out yeah i think Uh, i think things will be kind of operating on a scale where they're gonna have to work all over the place yeah i'd agree any other theories you have um i i definitely feel like it I I would be absolutely shocked if the other kids, you know, that the other numbered kids aren't a big part of that season. Um, I think we haven't seen the end of the uh, Department of Energy or, you know, the the sinister forces at work there uh, that, you know, really made things uh, real bad in in Indiana for, for our fun characters. So I, I don't know. I, I think there's going to be a lot to it. I think the Russians are going to be really important. Um, so one thing is, you know, everyone's like, Oh, it must be Hopper in that cage in uh, Russia that, you know, that you don't see the, the, the American that the Russians refer to. I'm not convinced that it's him there. I just think, but I, I think he's alive out there somewhere. He might be stuck in the upside down though, which would really suck. Yeah, but if anyone's going to survive the Upside Down, it's Hopper. I don't know. He hasn't had his coffee, so. (laughs) Touche. That's how I am when I don't have my coffee. Minus the muscles and the Ron Swanson grump. And the uh, just the the dad bod. Um, And the wanting to not be emotionally aloof from my child and wanting to be able to connect with them. I'm going to jab that into you as much as I can. You've opened this door. Okay. I think that's it for what we have to say. Is there anything you wanted to finish up with Stranger Things? No, I don't have anything else to say about Stranger Things. How are you staying spooky this this episode? Um, I am staying spooky with an incredibly awesome horror movie that I just discovered on Shudder. Um, Shudder, if you're listening, we want to be your friends. (laughs) Please. Um, I added about four or five movies that I saw on Shutter to my queue, and um, I just kind of decided to pick one at random. I think four out of the five related to demons, so you know me. Hmm. And the one I chose is a movie called Beelzebuth, and it was phenomenal, Nathaniel. It was raw, it was gritty, and within the first five minutes, there's a pretty horrific... um, infant murder scene in a NICU and I thought about turning it off but then I thought I'd lose horror cred but it's not perfect the plot has a lot of holes and towards the end there's a big pacing issue but the story is really original it's kind of about the second coming of Christ and it's the second coming for a very literal reason um and how Satan and his son, Beelzebuth, who wants to be the Antichrist, kind of has to race to, to win. Um, and I know kind of explaining that sounds fairly cheesy, but the way they do it is, it was just impressive. Um, I would give it an eight or a nine at four screams. Okay. Because uh, there's, it's, there's not only one child murder scene. Like, they keep punching throughout the movie and it it unsettled me for a day or two um Hmm. it's good it's really good do not watch it with your wife (laughs) or anyone (laughs) sensitive to children being in horror movies let alone children dying in horror movies 
Okay, so that's that's a, a good trigger warning for anyone out there who uh, has their interest piqued. Uh, if child death is uh, a bit much for you, stay away from it. But otherwise, check that that out. Oh, I'm so glad that we're speaking to the horror community because that sounds so insensitive. Um, child death and child murder is horrible. We do not condone it. Um, but Obviously. You, you rarely see it in horror movies. And this did it in a tasteful way that, again, contemplated a horror fanatic of almost turning the movie off because of that. All right. Anyway, I feel like I can go on and on about this new movie that I found. I feel so hipster. All right. So as far as me, uh, I have mostly been staying spooky uh, just in the uh, time I, I have been commuting to and from the school I work at. So... Specifically, I've just been trying to finish catching up on the very wonderful horror podcast, Nightmare on uh, Film Street. Definitely, if you are a fan of our show, uh, check them out as well. They uh, deserve lots of uh, wonderful listens. Um, Just so a a shout out to them. They're they're delightful, uh, have great opinions uh, on horror. I I really like their format. You know, they always compare to movies uh, every episode. And it's a lot of fun. I I always enjoy listening. Um, and it's hard to not. Uh, it, it's funny, like listening to another horror podcast with with you know kind of a similar bent to ours. You know, where we talk a lot of movies and TV shows and and things like that. You know, especially things that are popular now. Um, a lot of times, if they talk about a movie, like I I want to do an episode like in response but i'm like maybe we should just do the same kind of movies that they're doing over and over again that would not be great but i always want to i always think oh we should totally do a, a, a an episode on this one movie uh whenever i listen to an episode from them so it's a great show you should definitely check it out if you enjoy our show all right well is there anything stranger we have left to say about this episode um just one thing It's the never-ending story. Stay spooky. Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scream Kings Pod. You could also email us at ScreamKingsPodcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Scream Kings. Stay spooky.